Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Can you guys hear me? Can you hear me good or just a little? I need it gooder back there, Sarah. Can you get me up just a little bit, sweetheart? So good to see all of you. Welcome to church. Thank you, Jesus. You guys ready to receive a word from God? Amen. I just had such a great weekend. I hope you did too. We had so many wonderful ministries going on on Saturday and Friday. And Saturday we had our Polly Praise Ministry, reaching our orphans and families and many coming to Christ. And then Aftermath had a youth conference. And I know they are fired up, and they spent Friday night and all day Saturday. I know the leaders are tired, and I think the youth are too. But I just was so blessed as a pastor to see all this fruit going on over the weekend. And I literally was walking around my house, and tears would just scream right out of my eyes, shoot right out of my eyes. I was just so proud, and I could just feel in the spirit that God is doing something so special in the hearts of our, our children and our youth and even in our church, and I'm just so excited. Amen. But I'm more excited to share the word of God with you today, and I'm starting a new series called Different. Everybody say different. And I'm very excited to teach this because I want to I wanna pump you up. I want to encourage you that as believers in Christ, we don't have to live like the world lives. Amen. We don't have to function like the world functions. When we go through stuff in, in life, we have the power of God in our life to be an overcomer because we are different. And I want to take the next four weeks to really empower you and give you this revelation in your personal relationship with Jesus that no matter what you're facing in your life, you've got God on your side. Amen. I can't imagine living in the world and not having Jesus and having nowhere to put my faith or my trust in. And you're putting it in man, you're putting it in the economy. But as believers, we get to put our hope and our trust in a risen Savior. Amen. In the power of God, in the word of God working in our behalf. And so for the next four weeks, I'm really going to be challenging you and, and really encouraging you and hopefully building your faith uh, to believe God for some amazing things. Amen. So week one today, I'm going to talk to you about being different in the area of faith in your trials. How many know we're all going to have trials in our life? If you've lived long enough, you've been through a trial. And you may be here this morning, and you may be in the middle of a trial. And many of us, as we live this life, we're going to face opposition. But I want to empower you today that God is the overcomer, that when the world is wringing their hands, when the world is discouraged and overwhelmed, when they're anxious as believers, we are not because we know that God is moving on our behalf, amen? We know that the word is working in our behalf. And so I want to share with you out of uh, the book of Peter over the next, or First Peter, over the next four weeks, and I really want to challenge you and, and encourage you that when you're in a situation in your life where maybe you don't have the answer, have you ever been there before? Maybe something seems unfair in your life. Maybe you're facing a situation that you don't deserve. It could be a sickness in your body or sickness in your family or maybe a divorce or something that was troubling, things that you wish you could change in your life. Those are the things that I want to empower you in today, those trials that we wonder where did they come from and when are they going to leave, amen? So in the context of 1 Peter, I really want to set the stage. I want to take a minute so that you can really understand when we read the word of God, sometimes we can just take it almost like a fairy tale, and we really don't understand that the real truth behind why the Word of God was written. So I want to take some time and just break down about 1 Peter and where this book came about and why, why this letter was written to the church. So as you may know, 1 Peter was probably written by, who can guess? Peter, spoiler alert, it was written by Peter. 
And Peter was amazing. If you study his journey, most theologians usually describe him as an uneducated fisherman. He seemed like somebody that had no value or no worth in his life. But if you look at his journey, he was actually uh, very smart. He was a businessman. He owned his own fishing company. Have you ever met somebody that was like really book smart, like an attorney? Well, if you're an attorney, I shouldn't say that, but really book smart or whatever. But they don't have any common sense whatsoever. You're like talking, you're like, don't you, don't you get it? You know? And I'm so thankful I'm not a book smart person, but I do have some great common sense. Thank you, Jesus. And that's where kind of Peter was. Peter did not have real education smarts, but he had great common sense. And as you study his journey, he was a businessman. He was also a great leader. Now listen, Peter didn't start out a great leader, but he became a great leader. He was very passionate in his life. Everything Peter did, he was very passionate about. He was very bold in his life. We also find out as one of the disciples, he was married because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. It means he really loved his mother-in-law a lot. She must have been a good person, right? Okay, anyway, so as you begin to read 1 Peter, you're going to find out that it's a very heavy book in the Bible. Um, it's weighted with a lot of theological um, confrontation. The church at this point is facing issues that they've never had to face before. Um, they're being uh, tormented. They're being abused. They've been the outcast. They gave everything for Christ, and now they find themselves going through a challenging situation. Everybody say trials. They're going through trials, and so as you open up in this book in Peter, you'll find him addressing many things that are heavy, and many of the words that he uses are very heavy, and some of those words are election. Like, what does that even mean, election? Like, sometimes I have to keep the dictionary very close to me to understand some things the Bible's talking about. He talks about the foreknowledge or sanctification, being set apart for the purposes of God. He talks about obedience in First Peter and the blood of Jesus. He talks about trinity and grace and revelation and there's many things that he talks about, and we'll, we will study some of those things over the next few weeks. But the one thing that I want to focus in today is he talks about hope. And as believers in Christ, because we are different, we have hope in Jesus Christ. We have hope in the word of God. The world does not have hope. The world does not have an answer. But as believers, we have hope as the anchor of our soul. That we don't have to be tossed with the winds of emotion, the winds of anxiety, the winds of depression that has really seeped into the church of God. We have to remember we are different from the world because we have God on our side. Amen. We've been set apart by the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Now, the Bible doesn't say trials won't come, but the Bible does say he'll be with us in the trial. Why? Because he's a law. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us, does he? So in this particular part of the chapter we're going to study this morning, he's speaking to those that are suffering. And it's a very, very emotional writing when you understand the background of this story. So in 1 Peter, it was written in about 60 to 65 AD, and it was during the reign of an emperor named Nero. And I, as I read that in the Word, I wanted to study out a little bit about Nero and who he was and what he was about. And Nero was adopted, and he became an emperor at 16 years of age. I don't think any 16-year-old should run a nation. Anybody agree with me there? 
And uh, he was very young, and so he, um, he had a mother who took care of him. His mother was actually very controlling. She wanted to run the government. She wanted to have her say, and at this point she was. Well, when Nero, Nero turned 19, he decided he didn't want his mother to control him anymore, and so he decided to have her killed. And so he knew she was on a ship, and he said, I'm going to go out there, and we're going to sink the ship, and I'm going to kill my mother. What a great king, huh? Well, guess what? Mother survived. She swam all the way to shore and survived the shipwreck. And uh, she said, I think my son's trying to kill me. And uh, sure enough, long story short, he ended up did. He killed his mom, had the soldiers seek her out, kill her. The Senate let him go. He got away with it. So this is the kind of man that we're talking about when they were under this rulership. And also, he got married, married his first wife, and she wasn't having children for him. So guess what Nero did? He had her killed too, got away with it. Then guess what? Nero got married again. He wasn't happy with her, and guess what he did with her? Killed her again, too. And so Nero, when I was studying about him and his personality type, he was very evil, and I'll share a little bit about things that he did, but um, he reminded me a lot of our modern-day person we can relate to, Hitler. Because as evil as Hitler was, he attracted an army he attracted leadership. People did what he wanted him to do, and yet he was very destructive. And at this point, before um, Peter is writing this letter to the church, the Christians were coming under severe attack. And Nero decided that he was a builder. He loved him, so he built Rome up, and he was like, consumed with building, and so he decided, the Senate said, we're not giving you any more money, you're not going to build any longer, and so Nero decided to burn the city of Rome with fire. So if you know history, Rome was burnt down, in six days it was consumed with fire, and they tried to come after him and blame him, and Nero decided he wasn't going to take the blame, so he started to blame the Christians. So when the Christians were already under this great attack against following Christ, standing up for their beliefs, Nero now was coming against the Christians. And things that he began to do, I don't know if any of you have ever read the Book of Martyrs. Has anybody ever read that book before? I literally got through one chapter and I could not read any more of it. It was just so disturbing to me what Christians had to go through for their faith back in the day. And even today in third world countries, people are still fighting for their life. They're hiding their faith underground. And in America, we've become so spoiled and so entitled that we've lost the why we serve Jesus. We've lost the sacrifice that God really made for us. And so what happened was, because there was attack against the Christians, he, for fun, used to uh, take the Christians... And he would cut open animals, and he'd take all the insides out, and he would put Christians in the carcasses of animals, and he would put the Christians in cages. And then he would take wild dogs, and he would loose wild dogs into the cage. And for entertainment, they would watch the dogs maul, maul and eat Christians till they were dead. Another thing that Nero used to do, I'm really just setting the stage of what it looks like. Why was this letter written to the church? Because we can get so lost in our trials, can't we? And I'm not comparing apples to apples because thank you, Jesus, we don't live in martyrdom. But we can look at our trial as something so devastating that we throw in our faith that we forget the God that we serve that is with us in our trial. And these Christians were fighting for their life in what they believed and what they stood for in the word of God. And so he would also take Christians and he would dip them in wax and he would tie them to trees in his area and he would light them on fire. And they would illuminate the skies while he would have parties and celebrations around these Christians burning to death. And so here's the letter now that we're going to be talking about that Christians are being persecuted. 
and they're going through trials, and they're just saying, I'm all in for Jesus. I just gave my life to Jesus, and I don't understand why we're going through this. Can you imagine? And if you study out the group of people that were actually saved or written to in this letter, they were not the Jews that understood the law. They were um, redeemed Gentiles. And so they were just people who were um, idolaters. They were, they were lewdness and sexuality. They were alcoholics. They were drug users. And that sounds a little bit about like the church, doesn't it? And they were just like people that said, I'm all in. I'm going to give it all away, and I'm going to get all in and serve God. And then trials came, right? And this is where Peter now begins to write the church with encouragement in the middle of the hell that we're going through. How many are so thankful we don't have to face those kind of things? Amen. So this message is for those of us who maybe are going through a trial, something we don't understand, something we can't change. You're feeling helpless, a physical thing, your children, your marriage, addictions, whatever it is, this message is to give you hope today. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 1, it says this, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he said this, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What was he saying? He says, I'm writing to the church of God. I'm writing to the followers of Christ who live where? In Gilbert, in Chandler, in Phoenix. He said, I'm writing to people who live here on earth, but you don't really dwell here. You are just foreigners. See, we have to understand that this world is not our home. We are just sojourners. We're just coming through. We are dwellers of the most high God, amen? And this earth is not our own. We don't line up with the world. We line up with the word of God. So that word foreigner, he says, hey, listen, I know you're going through troubles, and I know you live here and live here, but I'm talking to God's people that are foreigners, right? They live in a place that's a kingdom authority and not earthly dwellers. And if you see yourself as an earthly dweller, you'll be defeated by the trials that you're facing. But when you see yourself as kingdom authority, victorious living uh, people, you'll be an overcomer over every situation that you're facing. That word foreigner in the Greek means a temporary residence. I'm just residing here for just a minute, amen? I'm just breathing through, and yeah, I can enjoy the pleasures of life, but I am not living for here on earth. I'm living for an eternal glory, amen? I'm living for the destiny of God. I'm living to bring my family into the kingdom. I'm living to raise my children in the ways of the Lord. I'm winning. I'm living to have signs, wonders, and miracles follow my life, amen? This is not our home. It's temporary. And we get so twisted and upset and, and torn about what's going on in life. And God says, quit worrying about the things that are temporary and start thinking about the things that are eternal. Amen. Listen to this. You're a heavenly creature serving a heavenly God, passing through this temporary world into an eternal dwelling place. This is but just a moment. Amen. Our life is this much compared to the eternal kingdom of God that we are going to live in life. And if we really understand that we are different as believers, we're not going to be shaken by this temporal thing and this trial that I'm going through. And you know why? Because God's going to make me stronger through it. God's going to make me victorious through it. God's going to work everything together for good when I know that I'm different. I don't have to be anxious and wringing my hands because I know that my God is in control. Amen? We have to be willing as believers to change our perspective in life. So if I am a believer and I'm living in this earth, I'm dwelling here, right? I'm 
frustrated with my marriage. I'm frustrated with my finances. I'm discouraged. I've been abandoned. I've been abused. And all I can see is what I'm living in now. I'm seeing this trial, and it's bigger than me. But God says when you know that you're different, you're going to take your kingdom perspective and you're going to begin to see things the way that God sees things. I'm not living in my circumstance. I'm not living what the world says I am. I'm not living what my marriage or my children say. I'm seeing I'm different. I know that I'm the head and not the tail. I know that I'm God's kid. I know that I'm victorious, and I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that God is on my side. This trial is a moment in God. It is a temporary thing. God is working it out for my good, and I don't know how, but all I know is I'm not going to lose my joy. I'm not going to grow weary. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get discouraged. I know that this trial is making me stronger. Amen? We're not called to look at, the, at situations like the world looks at it. Thank God we have an answer. Thank God we have hope. It's time for Christians to stand and know who we are. Trials are going to come, but greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. This trial's not going to knock me out. It's not going to knock me down. It may take my breath away, but I'm going to get right back up, amen, and I'm going to know who I am in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? What does it look like I'm different? When you know who you are and you know you've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, you're different in your values, the value of life begins to change. I don't live like I used to live. I value my home. I value my family time. I value church. I value worshiping God. I'm making decisions that the world may think is crazy, but I have a different set of values than the world because why? I'm different, and I have God in me. Thank God. When you have God in you, you have different standards. You don't allow certain things in your life. You have different goals in your life, a different belief system, amen? I mean, we're raising this money for the parking lot, and you guys got all in, and you said, I, my money's going to be different. I'm going to take first the kingdom of God and take care of the church, and I know that God's going to take care of me. That's different. That's living in kingdom authority, amen? When you know you're different, you're going to parent different. When you know you're different, you're going to be married different, amen? When you know that you want to raise your children, not in this temporary, have the great friends, have the little, all of this little stuff. No, I'm raising my children for the kingdom. So if they don't get a cell phone till they're 15, too bad. And if I'm the mean mom, mean dad, good. Call me mean or dad because I'm different. I'm going to raise my children different. I'm going to be a different spouse. Why? Because I'm different in God. You don't have to look like the world. You shouldn't look like the world. You shouldn't be worried about protecting your family or worried about making your family measure up to the world. You should be different. Amen? My time is different. I remember when we got up on Sunday mornings at church, it wasn't, I wonder if we're going to go to church today. Let's go wake mom up and see if I'm going to church. No, we were going to church on Sunday. And then we went to church on Wednesday. And then my dad got us up in the middle of the winter at 5 o'clock in the morning to get on a cold school bus to pick up children in a neighborhood who needed to know Jesus to get to church, bring his family, feed us on the bus, have three services, get his kids back on a school bus, drop those school kids off that gave their life to Jesus, that got seeds of life in them, brought the bus back to church, and then went home and fed his family. And then when they took a nap, we got up again and went back to the night service. I'd say, oh, I'm so tired. We're churched out. I'm so tired doing so much for Jesus. No, when you're doing something for Jesus, you are happy. You're excited. You want to be at church. You want to be at the next program. Why? Because I'm living for eternity. I'm not living for temporary. 
And you know what? The temporary then is good. The temporary is enjoyable. God gave us this beautiful world to enjoy, but our perspective has to be kingdom before it is natural. Amen? So we are different. And so when you're in a trial, what's happening? Your faith is being tested. Your faith is being tested. I want to open up to 1 Peter 1 verse 5. And it says this. This is the chapter that we're in. Peter is saying, who, talking about the Christians, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What does that mean? The Bible is saying, as believers, you are kept by God. You know what that word kept means? It means protected by. It means covered over. When you are in God in a trial, he protects you. The trial is there. I'm going through it. But in the trial, he is walking with me. He is guiding me. He is protecting me. He's telling me where to go, where not to go. The Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear no evil because he is with me. God is with you. I am different. I don't have to lose my joy because God is on my side. Amen. What keeps you? The power of God. What keeps you from insanity? The power of God. What keeps you from depression? The power of God. I've got this trial and I'm walking through it, but God is with me wherever I go. He says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When you are in Jesus in your trial, you've got two angels, on your, one on your right and one on your left, following you every way you should go. When you know that you're different, amen? When you know that God is on your side, he is protecting you. Thank you, Jesus. And that's why we can wake up and be happy. That's why I can come in a service when my heart may be in a million pieces of my own personal trial, and I can shout and praise God anyway. And I can get up here and preach the word of God in force. Why? Because greater is he in my life. God's got me in my trial, and I know that he's going to work it out for good. Good and not for evil. And God is strengthening you. He's testing your faith. You want to know, is your faith strong or is your faith weak? And you will not know that until you are in a trial. I tell, I tell single people this all the time. I say, you know, you don't, you know, you can read every dating book in the world, go to every singles conference, and until you date someone, you don't know what's inside of you. You don't know that you're jealous until you start dating somebody. <laughs> You don't know you're controlling. You don't know why, because it hasn't been tested yet. And that's how it is with God. You can come to church and know the word, but you don't know where your faith is until it has been tested. Until you've gone through a little bit of a trial. And all God's trying to do is mature and strengthen that faith for the greatness of God to be released. But what happens when our our faith is weak? We see people disappear out of the kingdom. We see people throw in the towel. I'm going to give up. I'm going to quit. All these things. Why? Because we're going through a trial. But God says, I want to test that faith. So it goes on in the rest of this this next verse. Now remember, Peter is writing to persecuted Christians. So maybe the week before, their uncle was just a candle for the, the emperor in his courtyard. They may have just lost someone they love. And Peter's writing to these people. And what does he say in verse 6 in this letter? So be truly glad. Are you kidding me? My heart's in a million pieces. I don't understand why did I lose my loved one for the faith? Why did I lose my marriage? Because I love God. Why am I going through this trial? And he's saying, listen, be truly glad. Why? There is a wonderful joy ahead of you. 
You may not understand the trial, but there is a joy ahead of you on the other side. Even though you may endure many trials for a little while, and that trial may be painful, and it may be challenging, but when you dig into God, he will make you so strong. Verse 7 says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. God's saying there's so much joy ahead of you, and I'm going to take the trial, and I'm going to use it for my purpose, and I'm going to use it for my glory. God will never waste your pain. God will never waste your brokenness. We don't understand why we go through what we do, but I can tell you one thing. You need to use it for a testimony to the glory of God. Get on the other side of that thing and let that trial be a place of victory. You don't have any shame. I'm not ashamed of what God brought me through, and you're going to bring victory to other people on the other side of their trial. But so many Christians want to live pristine and perfect, and I'm so happy. And no, we go through trials. We go through things that knock us out of the pocket. And God is saying, stay strong. You don't understand, but don't quit, because on the other side is going to bring you so much joy that you never could imagine. If you only knew the blessing I have ahead, if you only knew the breakthrough I have ahead, if you only knew the divine appointments, if you don't quit in this trial. He's saying, I want, I want you to know, you need to know, is your faith genuine or is it not? So if there's a genuine faith, then there's a false faith. And I want to expose three of them this morning. And this is something in the kingdom of God today that is so challenging because it's not talked about enough that there may be people that are attending churches on Sundays that are not saved. And we fill our buildings with thousands of people and we base salvation on how many people are coming to our congregations and we don't know if they're really born again. And it's so dangerous in the kingdom that we make it so safe for people that there isn't a personal conviction of the Holy Spirit to draw us to repentance. Because we can have a false feel good when we come to church. Make me feel good. Make me feel happy. Preach the right message and make me feel like I can have a million dollars tomorrow. It's the year of favor. It's the year of the harvest. And it's all awesome. I'm not saying that. But let's not base our walk with God and what our life looks like. You have to be careful. The Bible says when we get to heaven, there'll be many that will say, Lord, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. When I was young in the faith, I never understood that verse. I didn't know what that meant because I'm like, man, Jesus, that's kind of rough. And everybody in church, we loved God. Like there was a conviction. There was altar calls. There was repentance. There was deliverances. There was that move of God. And now in the church today, I get it. I get when Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. We've got to be assured. I don't mean walk in fear, but do you really know Jesus? Because when you go through the trial and you still show up at church, you know your faith is strong. When somebody abandoned you and somebody betrayed you and you still show back up loving God, your faith is strong. It's those that give up and quit and grow weary when their trial, when the testing is being done in their faith is where you got to wonder, where is my walk with God? So false faith, where does it lie? Number one, people that inherit faith, inherited faith. All the teenagers this morning, I want you all listening to me. I was raised in a Christian home. I inherited my faith. I inherited my parents' faith. They were born again. I got born again. I watched deliverances. I watched healing. But listen, when I turned 17, I had to have an encounter with Jesus myself. I had to find my own faith. Mom and dad's faith is not enough. 
We have to find our own relationship with Jesus. We have to find our own conviction with God. It's not enough to ride on the, the coattails of youth pastors and of parents. No, we've got to come into our own relationship. If great-grandma went to the Presbyterian church and grandma went, and they, but they never knew Jesus, then going to the Presbyterian church is not real faith. It's inherited faith. The church just goes on Christmas. We all go on Christmas. Thank you, Jesus. That's inherited faith. That's not a real conviction of repentance. Amen? We need a personal relationship with Jesus. And that, that's revealed when I go through the fire. I can tell you handfuls. I love Jesus. I've served him since I was 20. I've gone through some trials. And I wanted to throw in the towel so bad so many times. Some that just take your breath away. But when you know you're different. And you know that God's on your side. Uh, you know, you know that God's protecting you. You know that God's making a way, and God's going to redeem me. God's going to restore me. God's going to make my name great. None of it matters. You can pick it back up, and you can dig deep into your faith, which leads me to number two. False faith is shallow faith. It's where we come into church, and we get the word, and it plants a seed in our life, and then we go out, and the cares of life, and the trials that we're facing, and the marriage, and the finances, and are they all Real, yes, but when your roots are not deep in the kingdom, when they're not down into the word of God, you will be tossed and turned. The Bible says they dried up and withered away. Shallow faith. We've got to go deeper. This is why people that come into church and they're here for six months, oh, man, church is awesome, God's so great, ah. and then they wake up and there's a trial, and then there's no more church. No more word of God. No more worship in their home. Why? Because they, they received the word, but it did not go deep. And the only way it goes deep is when you hang on in the trial. And the devil, I'm going to tell you, is fighting hard for families to get them out of the kingdom of God. The devil is hardy, fighting hard for families and marriages. The devil is fighting hard. Why? Because he hates the church. He hates the church. Why? Because it's God's bride. Pastor Paul said that earlier. This is his idea, right? The church is God's idea. And then what happens? People who have shallow faith has no spiritual power. No spiritual power. We need to, as the body of Christ, take step forward in our walk of faith. It's time to go one step further with Jesus. And that's why, as the church, what do we do? We offer marriage programs for marriages, Right? This is another step you take. I'm going to invest in my marriage. I'm going to invest in what's important. There may be one little thing you hear at that conference that changes your marriage forever. You're saying, I'm not living for this natural, but I'm living for the kingdom. Amen. That's why we offer Wednesday nights. That's why we do men's ministries, women's ministries. Why? So that you can become a part of something that keeps you safe. And what is that? That's the church. If there's anything the devil's tried harder to steal, it's the church. Still the importance of the church. People can find it online. They can find their podcast. They find church at home. And that's great for elderly. That's great for people who literally can't make it out of their home. But when it's the church of God, our church is not podcast. Our church is the house of God. It is where there is accountability. It is where there's community. It's where we can love one another, wrap our arms around one another, encourage one another. Amen. Iron sharpens iron. Sometimes you get mad at church. If you've been going to church, anytime you got offended somewhere you got mad at somebody but you stuck around why it sharpens you that's what church does that's what coming together does we need each other amen church matters to God it's his bride he died for the church 
and he's returning for the church. Amen. That is the God that we serve. Number three, weak or uh, false faith is conditional faith. Conditional faith. I'll serve you. I'll believe you as long as things go my way. As long as it works out in my favor. And listen, God's not always going to do things the way you think he should do. Actually, it's rarity that he does. He's always doing just the opposite. Why? Because it requires my faith to believe God. Amen. The trials in your life reveal the depth of the faith in your life. And listen, your, your faith may be being tested right now. So what do you do? What do you do? How does God use the trials in your life? Number one, we touched this a little bit. Trials reveals the level of your faith. It's going to reveal what's going on in you. 1 Peter 1.7 says this. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Thank you, Jesus. When you go through a trial and you get bitter, your faith is weak. Stay bitter, I should say. When you go through a trial and you get angry and offended and you stay there, your faith is weak. But if you go through the trial and you go through somebody rejecting you and you stay faithful and you stay committed and you keep loving and you keep forgiving and you keep worshiping and you keep praising and you keep doing everything, that's a faith that is strong in God. And God is only going to make it stronger. Amen. I want to share a little bit about Peter, a little bit more about his character this morning. Peter, before he was in the fullness of God, was tested. And we know a lot about his story. And he failed. He made so many mistakes. But Peter did something so awesome. He regrouped himself. Through every mistake, every trial that we go through, God can regroup us and make us stronger. Peter became new and he became transformed. Listen, 25 years prior to this portion of 1 Timothy... 25 years when Peter was called as a young man, probably in his 20s, mid-20s or so, Jesus had this conversation with Peter. And he said, before 1 Peter was written, says this in Luke 22, 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, you're going to strengthen your brothers. See, God knew, Jesus knew that Peter was weak. He knew that Peter was going to make mistakes. And he said, even though you're going to make them, even though you're going to fail that trial, I'm going to renew you and restore you, and I'm going to bring you back to your brothers to strengthen them too. Do you see how God will take your trial, your mistake, and turn it around for good? And he already saw that in Peter. He already knew that the devil was going to come knock on his, on his door. Amen. So how did God use it? If you look at Peter's early years and his character and how he made choices, Peter was obnoxious. He annoyed all of his disciple buddies, every one of them. He was impulsive, cut the guy's ear off, right? He was arrogant. He was very inconsistent in everything that he did. But in his later years, 25 years now where he's at, he was faithful. He was devoted. He was more patient. He was bold. What happened? God used the trials of his life to strengthen Peter into the man that he would become and be used for the glory of God. He was not cut off, amen? What I love about this is his greatest trial, and we know the story, is when Jesus was on the cross, and we know that Peter denied Jesus three times. And the third time that he denied him, what blew my mind when I discovered it, is a little girl came up to Peter. 
a little girl to a grown man and said, don't you know Jesus, you know? And Peter's like, I never knew him. Like he was adamant. He couldn't even stand up to his faith to a little child. This is where Peter was at. And when the, when the third time he denied, the Bible says that he caught eyes with Jesus. Jesus looked at him and Peter looked. They caught eyes. Can you imagine how Peter felt? When he, Jesus already said, the devil wants to deceive you. The devil wants to sift you as wheat. But he already gave him hope. He said, listen, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be sifted, but I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to restore you and send you back to my brothers. That was not a word fulfilled yet. And when he looked at Jesus, can you imagine the shame he must have felt? The shame that the one he lived for, this immature, selfish Peter, still was doing what he wanted to do. Then you fast forward it. Jesus resurrects from the dead, right? He's a risen Savior. He's here on earth. He gathers all his disciples together. And he has breakfast by the sea. And imagine Peter sitting at that table with Jesus. Talk about an awkward breakfast. Because he hasn't talked to Jesus since he denied him. It's only been three days. And there sits the risen Savior looking him eye to eye. And what Peter must have felt like. But you know what Jesus did when they were done eating? He took Peter all by himself. He said, come here, Peter. He said, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, Lord, I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And Jesus, being so cool, didn't say anything. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yeah, Lord, I just said it. <laughs> then feed my sheep. And then Jesus said it a third time. Do you love me? And Peter was getting kind of annoyed and finally said, yes, I love you. Then he said, go feed my sheep. In other words, I've forgiven you. I've restored you. I'm here face to face to tell you it's okay. And then Peter came in and we know the book of Acts. He created the greatest revival the church has ever seen at that time. See, God will redeem us, amen? He will use that trial to make us greater. Even though Peter was ashamed of what he went through, God still gave him victory in the end. God did not eliminate him at the beginning, and he definitely didn't eliminate him later, amen? Thank you, Jesus. James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, listen, whatever you're facing today, it is time to stop crying over it. Tears and joy, dear for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Joy is coming to your life. God is moving on your behalf, and you can't see it, and you don't know where, but he is. I was sitting at my home yesterday praying and I was so touched by everything happening, and I just saw the Lord write, just in the spirit, help is on the way. Just big letters, help is on the way. Listen, whatever you're going through, help is on the way. It is happening. And we have to quit being upset about it, quit rehearsing over it, and count it all joy. Amen? When you face a trial of many kinds, because knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work don't give up don't go go weary don't quit don't throw in the towel let it finish the work that God started in the first place some of you got like one foot in that trial and like one foot of faith and God's saying just hang on just drag that heavy foot right in amen drag it in because God is performing a miracle in your life it's time to get your joy back it's time to get our hope back it's time to get our passion for God passion for his house passion for the lost passion for signs wonders and miracles amen it's time to quit looking back and remember that God 
is working on your behalf. And number two, quickly, trials will draw you closer to God. Especially if your faith is being tested. Man, when, when you're going through it and God is just enlarging your capacity, he's just going to draw you into worship. It'll draw you into prayer. It'll draw you at the altar call, you know. I wish we could do it when we were on the mountaintops, but God will use the trials for us to say, God, I need you. And God's longing for that intimacy, isn't he? He's longing for that time together. Now listen to this imagery in 1 Peter as we finish this part of the chapter. Peter, the words that he uses is so powerful. And he's saying to the church, I know you've gone through it. Count it all joy. But in verse 8 he says, you love God even though you've never seen him. Isn't that the truth? Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. See, God never said he was going to come for your trials. He said, I'm coming for your sin. My good news is that I've forgiven you of your sin, but you're still going to have the trial, but I'm going to be with you while you are in the trial. Amen. I'm going to give you strength in the trial, but in the middle of it, I'm going to have my joy. In the middle of your trial, you're going to have God's peace. In the middle of your circumstance, you're going to have God's hope. And how is that? Because I live different than the world does. I'm not living out here. I'm not living beneath. I'm living in who God says that I am. John 16, says this. This is what Jesus told him. He said this, have I told you these things? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But in the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What is God saying? There's going to be trials, but I'm with you. I have overcome. I'm victorious. My peace is with you. My power is with you. And my victory is with you in the middle of your trial. Amen. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's got his angels watching over us, guiding us. How can I have peace? Because I know he's with me. How can I have joy? Because I know he's on, I'm on the other side of where he's keeping me. I'm on the other side of protection. I'm on the other side where depression, anxiety, fear, overwhelming can't have me. Because I know where I stand. I'm different. You can torment my neighbors, but you can't torment me, God. You can trouble other people about their marriage, but I know you're going to work my marriage out. You can trouble other people about their finances. I don't know how, but you're going to work it out for my good. You're going to promote me. You're going to get me favor because I'm different. And when you know you're different, you walk in that favor and that blessings of God. Amen? When you're weak, he is strong. And what did he tell Peter at the end of all of his failures? And then fast forwarding, and he, he became mature and strong, and he could handle the church. And what did God prophesy to Jesus? He said, on this church, rock, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. I didn't look it up. It just kind of came to my heart. So I got a little confused. On this rock, on you, Peter, on the revelation of who you are, that you are different, I'm going to build my church. And if God can do that for Peter, if he can do it for a broken, obnoxious, inconsistent failure, he can do it for us. Amen. Listen, this is your year of miracle. This is the year to dig into your faith. It's the year to say, I'm different. And listen, what I feel so strong is you need to say, I deserve to be different. I deserve the favor of God. I deserve the forgiveness of God. I deserve the joy of God. I deserve it because I'm his kid. And when you take that stance, 
like MC Hammer. Can't touch this. <laughs> da, 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 da. Can't touch this. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Amen? Can't touch this. I'm going to be happy tomorrow. I'm going to have my joy. I'm going to love being with my family. I'm going to love being with my children. I'm going to love my job again. I'm going to love right now because God is here right now in my situation. Turning it around for good. Amen. He's moving on my behalf. Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, God. I thank you for the gift of faith that is arising on the inside of us. We will not be weak, God. We will not grow weary. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're not going to quit, Father God. We're going to stand strong in our trial, and we're going to persevere to the other side. We're going to march into victory. We're going to march into being overcomers, Father God. I thank you that, God, you're rerouting situations. I just hear the Lord say, I'm rerouting situations for your good and for my glory says the Lord I am putting things in motion I hear the Lord say I'm turning tables where it looked blocked but the Lord says I'm turning the tables and I see folders opening up of a favor and of contracts and there's situations that God's beginning to make happen by the spirit because the Lord says my hand is in it my favor is in it says the Lord oh God we give you glory just begin to praise him right now if you pray in the Holy Spirit just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit God open up heaven father God we reach out to you right now. Father, we reach out into your throne room right now. There's no rejection. There's no opposition, says the Lord. God says, I'm pushing back every forces of hell, every resistance. There's been some brick walls. There's been some resistance. But the Lord says, I'm breaking them down right now in the name of Jesus. And that, God, they're going to push through. There's rays of hope coming. There's rays of joy coming. God, we give you glory in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Father, we cast off all fear. Just give him the anxiety right now. We give it to you right now. I see the Lord lifting your hands. The Lord is refilling you up. Some of you just need a refreshing right now. You just need a refreshing of the Holy Spirit and his joy and his overflow. So God, right now, we call upon your refreshing into every heart, every situation. God, breathe life right now. I see the Lord says, I'm breathing life into dead places. It's been a, a desert land that you've been living in, but the Lord says, I'm breathing life, and I'm sending rivers in the, in the desert, says the Lord. I'm sending rivers of refreshing to refresh your soul and your brokenness. And the Lord says, the enemy did try to come at you. The enemy did try to wipe you out from underneath, but my righteous right hand saved you. My righteous right hand redeemed you, says the Lord. I'm here for you. The Lord says, I'm here for you. Some of us have pushed the Lord back because of our shame and pushed the Lord back because we don't feel worthy. But the Lord says, draw him in. Draw him back in. Draw him into your life. Draw him back into your relationship. God has not forsaken you. He's not abandoned you. He's not forgotten you. And it's time to break off the shackles of the past that have imprisoned you. And it's time to receive the fullness of joy like a waterfall just falling over you right now. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Just, just tap into his presence for just a minute. Jesus. His presence is here. His anointing is here. We praise you, Father God. 
Glory, glory, glory. Father, we just seal what you have done in the spirit. We seal it with the blood of the lamb. I put a hedge of protection around everyone listening. Father God, online, Lord God, live, right here in this room, Holy Spirit. These next four, three more weeks, God, we set apart for you that you are going to cause us to rise up in our faith like we've never done before, Father God. And we're always careful, God, to give you so much honor and praise. With all eyes closed this morning, I want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of all of my sin. I need you to come in. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Today, I am excited and I am empowered to be different, to walk in my authority and know who I am. In Jesus' name, with all eyes still bowed, if you said that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, first time or coming back to Jesus, just shoot your hand up all over this place and put it down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this room, thank you, thank you. So many of you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for what you've done here today. We thank you for what you are doing in every one of our lives. We thank you for miracles, miracles, miracles. And we thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said amen and amen. Love you all so much. Woo! Go expecting God to move. See you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock p.m. Dr. Paul is finishing up 1 Timothy. Love you all. God bless you.